from the five of us. Okay. Um, I was down in the exhibit area uh, last night, and I got a picture of people looking at, you know, trying to find a mission agency. And so let's see if I can get that up on the screen here. Um, there we go. Can you see that okay? So, so that's kind of the picture of people trying to find a mission agency. So we understand that it's uh, not an easy process. Uh, so many good options. Uh, one of the things you may have noticed on your GMHC after you logged in online is that they do have some organization recommendations um, in different categories. And I wanted to ask, did anybody notice that and it was helpful? If you could raise your hand, if that was helpful. Okay. So praise the Lord. You don't just have to rely on a computer. We've got four panelists up here. Okay, so that's good news. Um, and let's see. Uh, and then they also have this thing called meetup recommendations. Did anybody use that and was that interesting? Okay, well, praise the Lord for live panelists. Okay, so um, we're going to go um, down the line here and um, just briefly introduce ourselves, and then we'll come back through uh, the line and maybe um, a couple of us share an opening story. So um, my name is John McVeigh. I'm with Innes Image Family Medicine Residency, and we have a lot of grads that are overseas long-term missions, and I love to get to be a part of mobilizing people and connecting people. And so... It's my privilege to help organize this session and find these four wonderful people. Thank you. Uh, my name is Cedric. <clears throat> I'm with OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, uh, since 2009. Um, uh, my wife and our three children, we normally would serve in the large country in Southeast Asia. And um, I'm an infectious diseases uh, doctor. My wife is a pediatrician. Um, and our main ministry there was uh, to people living with HIV. My name is Chris. I am with InterServe, an international interdenominational mission uh, that works in uh, also in South Asia and Southeast Asia. I am a doctor, public health, uh, seminary trained person, but I'm really just... A child of God and the people that I work with will see my education and my skin color and what I want to give them is my identity in Christ. Kirith Lander, uh, I am a general surgeon and I spent time in Gabon for 10 years. Now I work with PAX, Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons and a shameless plug to come at 5.15 tonight. If you want to come to ATCR 200, you can hear all about PAX. And from this viewpoint of PACS, I get to work with a number of mission hospitals and hear about all the people who have been sent and their happiness and their maybe occasional discontent with their sending organization. Not ours. No, 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 no represented up here. <laughs> I'm Jill, and I work with Frontiers. We are an organization that loves Muslims, and so we want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples among Muslims. And so... I have the privilege of being the medical coordinator um, with that, and so using healthcare to reach, um, to go live in these places that it's difficult. It's just a part of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, my background is that I was in, my husband is a medical director of a pediatric physical therapy center in North Africa. So that's what I lived out is the balance of medicine and ministry and loving families of the patients and, and sharing Jesus in that way. So. I'll do a little bit more here. Um, I think you received uh, a sheet um, when you came in. If you could pull that out. And a special kudos. Um, my wonderful, godly wife is the one who handed it to you. So thank you, Nicole. And uh, 
She's a nurse, and my claim to fame is I helped put her through nursing school. And so, um, so this sheet, don't write notes on this that you want to keep because halfway through the session, I'm going to invite you to turn in the sheet, okay? So anything you want to keep, write somewhere else. Um, but um, at some point here in the next uh, 20 minutes or so, if you could number your top three questions, um, put down a one, two, and three or on any of those blanks. And if there's anything specific, please write that down because we're going to uh, look through some of these to pick out some of the questions in the second half of our time together. And at the uh, uh, bottom, I'll explain some things uh, about some of the optional requests as well. And then here's the real challenge is at the bottom, um, I know you guys are healthcare professionals or a spouse of a healthcare professional, but try to remember what it was like to print legibly, okay? And so that would be a, would be a wonderful blessing. Um, so I don't think we have mailing labels this year, so that would be, would be super. So um, see if any of you guys have an opening story on one of these topics. We'll just kind of pass the mic back around here, and then we'll take some questions from uh, where you raise your hands, and then we'll, um, I'll explain a few more things after that. So you can either pass or share something. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, um, among, among the number of topics uh, that we were su supposed to kind of share about, one is about compatibility. Um, that's a pretty broad term, but I would probably uh, narrow it down to maybe culture and maybe even leadership and structure. Um, so agencies can be large. They can be somewhat small. Um, so I'm only going to really speak from a large uh, agency point of view. Um, OMF um, operates in many countries. Um, we, are, uh, we work in many countries, and we have a lot of sending countries. Uh, we have about 1,400 missionaries. Um, it's coming from all over the place, from very, very many different cultures. Of course, intergenerational as well, older and younger and in between. Um, so that we have an international headquarters and another headquarters in your country and then a home side headquarters and all sorts of layers. But what I would say is um, we try to break it down into your very local level as well. So your teams could be as small as three people or four or five people. So each team itself could also have its own culture as well. Um, uh, just something as simple as language. We may assume that we might use English as our team language. Well, I work on a team that uses Chinese as a, uh, as a common language, actually. Most of our workers are from Taiwan and Hong Kong, and they prefer to speak in Chinese, actually. I'm, I'm actually the one with the least amount of Chinese ability, and I'm the, I was the team leader. So uh, that was a challenge. And, of course, we come from uh, different backgrounds and the way we do things and how we communicate with one another and our expectations of leadership. What does leadership look like in different cultures? Uh, so uh, you have to prepare yourself for that um, in a large organization, definitely. Uh, I guess I would frame my story around where do we work, and I just wanted to start talking about arranged marriages, which in this culture makes us kind of uncomfortable, but in, the, uh, in Asia and the Arab world, that's actually the norm, not the exception. And so similar, you know, working with international teams, 
uh, it sometimes feels like whose idea was this to put us on the same team? And, and certain organizations will only send people as a preformed team. And in our context, we, we much more function um, to explore each other's differences in real time. And I think that prepares us well to also work in partnership with our national colleagues, some of whom are Christian professionals, some of whom are non-Christian professionals, as well as working with the national church, uh, some of whom are recent converts, whether from a Muslim background, Hindu background, Buddhist background, that's the part of the world we work in, or have been uh, what... Sorry, those of you who have worked very much in Asia perhaps know the concept. There's Muslim background believers, Hindu background believers, Buddhist background believers, and Christian background believers. And because being identified as a Christian sometimes is not so different from the way it is here. But learning to work in partnership across all those differences, interdenominational, international, and not always just with Christians, working in partnership with secular organizations who often also want to do good is always a challenge, and so organizationally we have tried to devolve uh, primary institutional leadership that we work with to nationals, but very much trying to figure out how to work in partnership well. So I'm just going to tell a brief story. It might not turn out the way you're all hoping. It didn't turn out the way I had hoped, but it may speak to the aspect of leadership and the importance of checking out what's going on. So we'll call these two guys John and Jeff. Maybe I should call them Mark and John. That'll be better, better distinction. So we'll call them Mark and John. Mark has been at this location for a number of years. Speaks the language well, and he's pretty experienced. He's now the team lead, and John is going to join the team because he has a passion for the same people group. So he joins the team. He finds out quite quickly that their styles and expectations about leadership are different. They live in, they're working in a culture that's pretty hierarchical. That's not so much John's bent. He wants collaborative decision-making. Mark, being in that culture, speaking the language well, thinks hierarchical decision-making and authoritarian decision-making is the way to go. Let's just say they ran into some conflict. They're not in the same location anymore. But they are both ministering to the same people group, but they're not in the same location So it's very important to think about how the leadership structure goes within the culture, but also within the organization that you're going to be joining, because each group has its own characteristics. How do you follow that? I feel like we're just going, don't, don't, don't. Do you feel the heaviness of why you're here? Right. Wow. So I just want to encourage you. I feel like there's... We're always hearing questions. Like, that's what we do is feel these questions. How do I choose an agency? Do I choose a people and then a place? Or do I choose a team? And and then do I choose an agency? There's not one right answer. There's not one right agency. But God made you you. So really figure out who you are and who resonates with you, what leadership style resonates with you. Work through those processes Like, the story of how I got to the field would have never been. Like, people said Muslims, and I was like, yeah, right. Um, But God did a work that only he was ready to say. It wasn't from another person. It was in the time that he got to speak. And then I could realize, oh, yeah, I had been laying down, like, the parameters of what I wanted in a team before I was trying to choose the team. Because if you're evaluating a team, you're muddled. You're muddled by what? 
culturally is going on. You're muddled by the relationship or how they looked at me or how they didn't look at me or how they answered that question. So laying those out beforehand, I would say, is ideal. Um, Within Frontiers, we are field-led. We are team-led. We have parameters around trying to make sure that the leadership is leading you in the way that you are. But that's all said and done at the end when we're all broken people walking through this broken world. And you might choose the team and have this dynamic, everything's great, and then get kicked out. And so then you've chosen everything about this organization based on this team. So really letting the Lord work on you, that you are you. He's calling you to be kingdom workers. Whether you get to go to those people that you've been praying for or not, he's still going to do his work. The Holy Spirit is at work. We get to be part of it. Yes, we get to join him in what he's doing. Okay, so let's uh, let's do a, f- a few questions and then uh, one or two people uh, respond, and then we'll go on to another question. I'll repeat the questions here for the uh, for the tape as well, uh, maybe also for the um, virtual people. So, so raise your hand, and we'll do some questions, and then we'll do some those that you wrote later. So, okay, this is supposed to be fun, and you guys are supposed to raise your hand. Thank you, sister. Yes. Talk about compatibility. Um, can you go a little bit deeper in detail of, of what to consider when you, when you set So, what does it mean to be compatible with an agency for you and for them? And so, anybody want to start singing Matchmaker from We're on the Run? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, just how about just my own story, really? Um, my wife and I were first called to missions um, 15 years or so, plus or minus, before we actually made it to the field. Um, looking at our ministry uh, background and our uh, what we wanted to do on the field and our own makeup, we are um, Chinese-American. Uh, we grew up in a certain way, and we probably feel comfortable in a certain type of setting. Um, Put all those in consideration, we thought we would want to be with a large, established type of uh, organization with a long track record. Um, so we uh, we actually looked into AIM first, um, African and Inland Mission, because we weren't called to a particular people group or a country. We just knew we wanted to use our profession uh, in ministry. Um, and so... Um, we thought that was actually a good fit. Uh, we also looked at OMF, and it was somewhat, actually quite similar in some way, just in a totally different region. And um, just the way it worked out, it just worked out that way. That's just my own short story. I think something that comes to mind is the sense of there's always going to be a tension on every team of those who really want to spend sort of, well, again, if you're working in medicine, or in medical fields where the needs are so intense just for the medical services you offer. And so physical health and emotional health and mental health and spiritual health of the team and who on the team is drawn to in their heart, kind of focusing on one or the other, because it's always going to be a tension. And so if you can sort of get a sense, I was saying this in an earlier thing of, What's the tone where you're organi- – so an agency tone, the language that they use, 
Um, do you feel like, and again, I was talking just at lunch about being a feeler versus a thinker. So for some people, it's going to feel, how do you feel when you talk to people? It's like, I want to be them, or I actually am them. And so what does it feel like? But then also in the thinking side, what are the things that are, are important to you on that, the tension between serving medically with your professional skills and sharing your life and how do you how do how does the organization that you work with um, think about that element of sharing your life and Jesus is part of your life so that's working in a you know in a Muslim context where you don't just things are more relational and that sort of thing how do you feel with that resonance with the focus on the medical stuff that sounded a bit dismissive, but um, you know, how are they? How do they share their lives in their professions and in their families and in their neighborhoods? And how do you share your life already? And what does it feel like then to, to join people who share their life in the way that that feels right to you? Oh, thanks so much. Okay, another question. Well, if you're not going to have another question, we'll have another answer. Okay. <laughs> so in terms of compatibility, I, you know, often we look at these, these things that are, what are our preferences? What are our desires? What are our non-negotiables? What are the three? There's, a, there's the three circles, concentric things. And we think about it in terms of denominationally or the church you attend. That's a similar way that I think you could think about compatibility. What are the things that are non-negotiable for me as a missionary or as a full-time, long-term, whatever the phrase is going to be next year, uh, worker, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that are, well, I'd be okay, not my preference, but I'm okay. And then what are the other things that you're like, well, it doesn't even matter. I never even thought about that. I don't really care at all. Um, and then I would add two other words to the success of the compatibility on the long-term, and they are humility and grace. Okay. I would know. Okay, another question. Anybody twitching? There we go, in the back. Thank you. How common is it for an agency to have communal living or provide housing? How common is it for an agency to, um, you know, everybody's living, you know, nearby or there's housing that's provided, right? Uh, yeah, I've talked to some agencies. It seems like the ones that, you know, you have to raise more money for are the ones that don't provide any communal living or housing and that. That would be like a stumbling block, or like that would be harder to, for someone who's trying to go on like a short-term mission. They have to raise money to rent somewhere, something like that. But um, what do they think about communal living and agencies providing housing? And uh, okay, so anybody want to share anything about that? Well, I think it depends on where you are and where you're going to, and how that's viewed um, by the the nationals. Because that's another factor where is it a safety concern and it's important that you're going to be able to come under their roof or be in their compound or things like that. Or is it depend on what it would look like? So my family had two college students, two guys come. We'd had women, like young girls, come and stay before. And then we had two guys. And they ended up being able to rent in the same building but not live with us because then there's all these factors of I couldn't be, Ryan couldn't ever leave and my husband couldn't leave and leave me there with these guys because it wasn't culturally acceptable for, so you're always having to think about why they're 
providing that housing and what your purpose is and what you're going for. So is it your purpose to see what the team is like? Is your purpose to serve the nationals? And then why they would be offering what they're offering. So I think if you're defining things only based on what housing is, that comes and goes and it changes. They could invite you and then the housing doesn't work out and they're having to find something else. There's so many things that change. But the purpose of what you're pursuing, like what are you wanting from the experience? What is God asking of you how to spend that time? It's his money. He's going to provide it as far as financially if he wants you to be there. But if we're just putting the limiting parameters based solely on where we're going to sleep, that's um, maybe missing the bigger picture he wants to teach us. See, it's football season. Okay, so we got a brief halftime interlude here, okay? And by the way, um, I think, are you back there, Paige? Yep. You get ready. Come on up here. You're going to help me on something in a minute. Okay. Um, she just found that out. Um, so if you can pull out your white sheet of paper here, um, and, um, and I'm going to go through the uh, bottom section there where it says optional requests, and uh, you can check any of those or none of those. And so the first one, um, sorry, you guys don't have this, do you? Maybe you do. Okay. First one is um, I would be honored to be a matchmaker. So if you would ever want me to email you and we could schedule a time for a phone call uh, and I could do a consult with you about trying to find an agency that would fit with you, okay, I'd be honored to pray and do that. The next one uh, says, yes, email me about the Goer cohort. And this is something that just started a year ago. And Paige has been doing this. So, Paige, if you can stand up here, uh, take the microphone, and this uh-huh. is also the mic for the recording here. So, kind of stand right there. Sure. Thank you. Just share about the cohort. Yes. I'll yeah. Put, I'll put a slide up here. Perfect. So, the uh, Goer cohort. Um, so, it's a group of um, people that are set on going to the unreached um, in the next five years or less, usually. Um, so it's not necessarily for people that are still just kind of checking out or wondering where their place is in missions, but people that um, feel like they do have the calling and are, are intentionally doing the preparation stages of going. Um, so what we do with the group is we have, there's two components. The first component is um, a Zoom meeting for two hours every other month, um, and that's an awesome time just to be able to, to meet with like-minded people. Um, to We memorize scripture together, do Bible storying, we hear from, from missionaries on the field um, just to get wisdom and to kind of come alongside each other in the preparation process. Um, it's been really encouraging um, for, for me and my husband over this past year just to have that consistency throughout the year of, of having connection points with people that are, are heading towards the same goal. Um, and then the second part of that is um, weekly prayer for unreached people groups. So that's a 30-minute um, phone call or Zoom meeting um, every week, um, and that's been really, really awesome as well. So if that's something that um, seems to fit you guys and, or, or where you're at um, in, your, in your phase of, of life or preparation, um, we'd be happy to have you join us. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Paige. Uh-huh. Bless your sister. Let's see, what's my sheet saying next after that? Uh, you're also invited, if you want to give me your email address, and we can tell you, uh, connect you about the Priority 15 gathering. GMHC is amazing, 2,000 people, overwhelming. This is a gathering of about 200 people, healthcare professionals, focused on 15 unreached people groups, uh, or how to get there. And so uh, that's about once a year. If you're 
open to getting on the email invitation list on that. You can check that on the little sheet there as well. Uh, the next one will be end of February in Birmingham, Alabama. And then let's see what's next after and this. And some non-medical. Hey, yes. Yes, we're looking for missional professionals of any kind. And uh, let's see, Paige, did you bring your Micah? Yeah, that's fine. Hi, Micah, I'm John. Good to meet you. Okay, bless you. Thanks for that. that. Uh, yes, amen. And then uh, there's also a key resource, askamissionary.com. Um, and let's see, I've got a slide about that. Um, let me put that up. To, let's see, here we go. Here we go. Am I doing better now? Okay. Um, so uh, we're going to try to cover as many answers as we can today. Um, but here's uh, over about 15 years I've gathered uh, questions from people at GMHC and other places and gotten missionaries from people like our panelists. And so this is available, over 500, uh, 400 questions with multiple uh, questions. And so askamissionary.com. Let's see, is that, I think that's close to the end. Oh, and then there's a couple of email newsletters um, you can sign up for as well. And if you're interested in any of those, put your name and email address. Um, but if you can go on and do that in the next couple of minutes and then kind of pass that to the center uh, and then back. And then uh, my wonderful wife, Nicole, if you could start sorting those out and bring me up so I'll be able to get some of those questions that were written down. Um, but we're going to take some more questions verbally here. And so who's got the next question? Okay, there's Micah. I, I won't call everybody out by name, but thank you, Micah. When it comes to financial support, raising, raising funds, what would you tell someone that their plan is to do marketplace ministry and they don't need to raise any support? What would the agency's response be? So what would the agency's response or, or consult be, you know, if you want to do marketplace ministry and you don't want to raise support? Um, is that a fair yeah, summary because there? Your, your salary's paid because your salary is paid and so I'm not going to raise support. Um, and maybe along with that, do I need to be part of a mission agency? Can I add that to your question? Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> um, I'll just answer briefly. Yes, we uh, in OMF certainly um, are moving towards that direction. It's always been around, but um, we're seeing that it's a, it's a bigger trend, actually, to go ahead and do marketplace ministry. So definitely self-supporting missionaries is definitely an option. Uh, we would, um, I'm sure everybody here would agree, um, but we would definitely need to continue to raise prayer support as well. Um, that can sometimes be a little bit left out because we say, well, I've got this covered. And so maybe there isn't as much of um, as a pressure, in a sense, to share this with um, uh, your churches and um, family members and such. But prayer support, having that and your, uh, your church leadership, your pastor, your elders, all those people uh, are a must to be on your team to send you out. Yeah, and I would say certainly InterServe also has, we call them independently financed partners, and then there's a whole range of where your full support financially, again, yeah. But one of the other parts that is of this equation is when you're part of an international group and there's people from, you know, Ethiopia and Indonesia and India who can't work unless they have a salary because they don't have this whole church support base concept. And there's a work towards that. Somebody was talking to somebody from Nagaland, if you run into Dr. Jocko, but, you know, these are poor rural uh, Indian tribal people who give, they call it Mishti Chao, a handful of rice. 
and they collect their handfuls of rice together into their church uh, totals so that they can afford to send missionaries. But so there are people, you know, all over the world who are dealing with exactly that. And the limitations it brings sometimes have to do with education, educational options for your kids, vacation options. Um, you know, so other people working in nice NGO settings or mission hospitals who have their furlough and have their, you know, one month of leave every year. If you're uh, if you're an independently financed person, a business person, an employed person, that's maybe not an option. So the the way your sort of team handles conferences of, you know, I can get off for a week and just say ta-ta, bye-bye, but my colleagues who are running a business just can't do that. So there are flexes and things that it isn't just financial. There's quite a lot that is is just that that goes into that equation. So, yeah, that's, I mean, as in terms of finding agencies that are looking at those kinds of things, you know, there that it isn't, in some places, it isn't as unusual as it would be in the states, if you see what I mean. So look for look for where there's models and, and people will learn from. Can you remind me what your original question was? Yeah, if you had a couple come to you and say we're going to do marketplace ministry, so we don't need to raise support, right? Because that's usually the go-to assumption is, all right, now you're going to raise support now. Yeah. It's been the model for so many years, but now, like they were saying, alluding to marketplace ministry is a, is a more prevalent thing now. So if I had said, I have a job in this country, here's my salary, I need zero financial support, mm-hmm. what would the response of the org potentially be? Yeah. So that's what I thought. Is So I think it depends on, I mean, we are all sent, right? We are all sent ones. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And so as a part of your commission, it kind of depends on your shift of your thinking. Are you just a kingdom worker that is going to go as a Christian and live there? Or is your perspective on the church planting or disciple-making team aspects and like talking about what it's going to look like as a team if you're one that is not on support and others are on support? But oftentimes if you're so focused on what you're doing and what's happening, you miss out on the perspective of, who is a part of that prayer support? Who is a part of those partnerships? So we suggest having the partnership in place so that you don't get on this road because you're the one that's going to be doing the, the marketplace aspect. But if you're not bringing people along with you, you're not going to turn back and try to bring them along later. You're going to be, they're going to be a part of your development of the marketplace and what it's going to look like, the church planning aspects. If you don't have the financial support, you can easily just shift gears and decide not to go to that conference. But your, the spiritual walk of your family needed that, but because you could just say, well, we're just living on this salary because that's what we're making, you could eliminate, it doesn't mean you will, but you could have the tendency to eliminate the ministry side if you're not holistically looking at it. So not to say everyone has to you know, live at this support or everyone has to do it this way, but it can ebb and flow depending on what your work is, where you're living, what the team dynamics would look like. But to begin with the end in mind, not with what the trajectory at the beginning looks like, but who's a part of that process, how you're bringing the, the, the senders into the, the process. The other thing that I thought of that is also a struggle with that kind of a situation is language and cultural learning, which from a very traditional mission, you're in for a year or two, you're in language training. 
And, and that's also something that potentially if you're building a support system to have people still support you, that's what your job probably won't pay for. But a support system that really is doing the exact work of preparing you for a holistic sharing your life capability through language could be where some people could come alongside you in that way early on. And that's a different sort of funding stream, so to speak. But that's that's one of the struggles with people who are independently financed or whatever you want to call it, marketplace ministry, is how do you get that time for, for dedicated language learning? Another question. Another answer. Okay. We'll do another answer, then we'll do your question. Okay. So if you haven't noticed, I kind of push back, and I like to kind of push things a little bit. So I'm going to push back on the question, and my question would be, why? And why would I ask that question? Because as Americans sitting in this room, we are the most individualistic culture on the face of the earth, if I understand culture is correct. And often the reason why is so I don't have to answer to somebody else. And, that, and again, nobody admits that, and we often don't see our own blind spots. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And yes, you can throw whatever you want at me. It's okay. You wouldn't be the first. You won't be the last. But I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is this because it just came to me and I'm wondering? Or did I want to do this so that I don't have to be accountable to somebody else? And so as you process through that, you may find it is the exact right thing to do. And the organization is willing to come alongside of me and do all the other things that I might say, oh, that come along with their support raising during that year. And it turns out that's exactly what you need to do. Or you may search your heart and find out, yeah, it was because I really wanted to run my own show. And that's probably not going to work very well. People that, that tend to go to the field that way tend to not stay long. So, Sister, if you had a question. What do you think are some of the most important questions to ask when you're trying to choose an agency? What would be the most important things to ask of an agency before you join them? And uh, Nicole, whenever you have a chance, bring me up a few of the written questions too. So, I'm just going to quote John here. That's you. So I, I, I think that is it the agency focus, their doctrine, their finances, services, leadership, locations, and compatibility. So those are the kinds of questions you want to ask about. What is your focus of your agency? What is the doctrine? Is it pretty broad tent? Or is it pretty narrow that we only preach the gospel this way? That may or may not matter to you. So those are the kind, I mean, I think that's a good list that, uh, that we've been provided that you can say, well, those are the areas that I want to investigate in an ascending organization. And a lot of those are posted on askamissionary.com. So you can write, write those down or, or go there. Yes, brother. Do any of your organizations offer short-term opportunities so that people can test the waters, understand the environment, the culture, the, uh, uh, the nature of the work, and explore whether or not they want to make a longer-term commitment? So is it kind of good to go on a date before you go to the <laughs> wedding and marry the other person? Okay. By the way, how many of you are uh, here, it's like, hey, I'm – Kind of here because I thought this was going to be talking about short-term mission agency opportunities. Anybody like that? Which is fine. So, but but going long-term, it's good to. Uh, um, are there some short-term opportunities? Okay, and so I think it's four out of four. But who wants to? Uh, who wants to maybe comment on the best time and way to do a short-term experience? Um, is that a okay way to put it? 
Um, so um, COVID has changed things up a little bit. But, <laughs> but I would say there's probably two different types, at least two different types of short-term uh, trips as, as you describe it. One is a service type of trip. So you are going there and you are helping out at a camp at, a, at a, um, some ministry. It might be two weeks. It might be two months. It might be six months. A service type. Then there's another kind that we call a vision trip. You're not going there to perform any kind of service, per se, but you're just going there to explore. And usually these vision trips take you to a number of different sites where you see a number of different models and different ministries during a week, at least a week to 10 days to 14-day time trip. And then you can always do more follow-up. So we have those, certainly. We've gone to virtual. So we do virtual vision trips now. Um, the service ones are a little bit harder to do, but there are there are some ways to do that, too. And I would say, yeah, this is America, so it's hard to say don't go. Um, because, but climate-wise, just a tiny little, you know, creation care element that virtual virtual vision trips, I think, are a great idea. Um, I think it depends also on where you're looking. So if you're looking for a place that is a, a fit for for what you think you're going to be doing, I think. I, I mean, again, yeah. So the short answer is yes, we have short-term programs. Are there anything from in our organization from a month to two years is still for us short-term. And so it kind of depends on where you are in your uh, pers- you know, your journey, what where what duration is the longest, um, but I also I just know that it is for us anyway, um, or at least in my personal experience, I guess. Um, vision trips are fun, but they are also actually a lot of work for the people on the field, and that's why I really, yeah, sorry, all of us, <laughs> they are a lot of work. Whereas vi- I think virtual, in some ways, virtual vision trips, so to speak, makes perfect sense from an environmental perspective as well as an actual you can get a lot of information Um, but that's what coming to this kind of a conference is also about because it is really who do you resonate with what are they doing and that sort of thing Um, but I guess it's getting back to the question a little bit about finances is it also can be it's a hard position sometimes to be in where you're you really do want to do both, where you want to provide a service, and you want to, but you want to kind of figure out what's going on. And interestingly, for for the foreign teams, it's actually quite hard work. But for nationals, it's also really an interesting opportunity because often the nationals will be the ones who provide some of the hospitality and stuff like that. And so, the, in that way, like our short-term project isn't just about pursuing potential long-term, but in both directions, both what you learn about them and what they learn about you is actually part of a longer-term mission, often, I would say, probably for all of us. And that's often, it does equip long-serving missionaries as well. So you're not just figuring your own life out. You're contributing to mission in ways that you don't even necessarily know. And in that way, environment aside, come So so we'll take the answer here, and then we've got an online question. So, uh, Jill. Okay, I would say, um, yes, we do do some short-term as well, but 
exploring, exploring your worldview, like doing it virtually, what you're reading, what you're seeing, and then going on the trips are all a part of the journey, I would say. When I talk to someone wanting to go long-term, they've never been anywhere, it's like, whoa. Like, go travel somewhere, go through the experience, know what questions you want to ask. So before you're trying to find the agency and find your team, if you've never had any exposure to any other culture and experiences, and it's, it's difficult. So it isn't an end to the means, but it's a part of the whole picture. Um, but all short-term is it's a different definition than, like, building it towards going. So. Great. So you can share the online question. I'll repeat it for the, uh, the take. <clears throat> There's two questions. So the first one says from Joy, how do we know whether the mission agency we're interested in has good ability to create a connection between the mission field and my sending church? So uh, how do I know if the agency has a good ability to connect um, with my sending church? Right. Okay. So let, um, and, um, let's see. Let's go on and answer that one, and if you could maybe leave the second one with my wife, Nicole, here, um, and then we'll, we'll cover the, the next question after that. Basically, the answer to the question is ask them if they do. Because um, I can say that my mission, InterServe, when I first went overseas or when I you know, first got involved, which is about 25 years ago, they didn't have a particularly effective church-equipping part of the ministry, and that's been very, 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 very much strengthened since then. And it's partly because, in, in all honesty, post 9-11, there was just a ton more fear and concern, and is this the right thing to do? And so it was a necessity to connect to churches to help them have a wider vision of mission and a wider vision of a theology of suffering, a theology of risk, a theology of the Great Commission, um, or have you read Paul? You know, his life was not safe. Um, but in any case, it, I think, very much is just, it's a, it's a fairly, uh, in, in my organization now, I think it's a fairly intensive, um, well-thought-out program to work with local churches. So you can ask, how, how do they do that? And it's a great, great question, because it's kind of hard now with churches and agencies sometimes. <laughs> Nicole, what's the other question that came through online? As a medical missionary organization, how did doctors and nurses become attracted to our program? And then I have his um, contact information to give you. Okay, so this sounds like a medical missionary organization is asking how to meet you all. Is that a, is that yes, a, basically? Basically, okay. And so the the correct answer is to. Come to the Global Missions Conference in person and have an exhibit. Um, and in, in, even before that, though, you can re- register your organization at medicalmissions.com, and, the, and it will show up on the search, uh, a lot of information. Is that good enough there? Um, so here, here's the most popular question that you guys checked off, and thank you, Nicole uh, and Delane, for helping for tabulating this so quickly. What agency policies should I learn about before joining? What agency policies should I learn about joining before joining? And we've talked about some of them already, but let me just say, ask if there's any, any topics that you think of that we haven't talked about yet today that kind of come to mind. So here's to Jill. I think authority structure is oftentimes something that I talk with medical professionals about. Um, 
what is who makes the decisions of how the team functions, like the day-to-day things. Who makes the de- is it the team leader? It might be, or is it someone else giving them the decision? Who decides when you can get a car? Who decides? You know, sometimes that comes from outside of the team. Who is the um, accountability structure? So you have authority and accountability, and those can look different ways. They can be mixed or they can be separate. Um, they can be flexible or they can be strict. So kind of understanding what that looks like and then what you're looking for as well, um, I would say, is can often be very frustrating if it doesn't match, getting into a little bit of accountability. But. Here's, a, here's a question. Um, should I consider a larger agency or a smaller one? And uh, I think... Uh, I'm thinking, Kerr, you probably have experience with a, quite a variety of people at your different hospitals, and so uh, I'll, I'll give it to you first, and then anybody else wants to share. Yes, you should consider a larger one and a smaller one. That's the short answer. I, I guess the longer answer is it depends on your personality. Uh, again, the, the smaller agencies uh, clearly are more nimble, I think would be the word I would use. The larger institutions, uh, yes, I use the word institution, that I think gives you already the concept of larger. It's more like an ocean liner. It just doesn't turn very fast. So if you want a lot of flexibility and you think you might change and you're someone who has, well, you know, last week I wanted to do this and then next week I do this or your husband or your wife tells you frequently, oh, you just changed your mind again, probably a large organization is not the one you want to go with. because, Or maybe it is because you need to submit yourself to that. It depends on where you're at in your, your own sanctification process. <laughs> Back to the humility and grace. So I, I, it, I think you, it depends on you. It really depends on your personality. There's not a cookie-cutter answer to that. It's clearly a personality-dependent issue and what you're willing to submit to and what you maybe aren't willing to submit to. Our story is that we were with both. We had a small organization and then a larger, I mean, with Frontiers as well. And so our church wanted us to be with the smaller denominational one. And so they provided great, like, pre-field, and there was a lot of great things, and they had that flexibility. And yet I was so thankful that we had the ones with experience and, like, more foundational to be able to handle things. They wanted to care for us, but they really didn't have any experience in the Muslim world. You know, we were kind of newer in navigating that, and so they deferred to the other. So you can have it be a a cooperative, like joint venture option that is possibly an option, but also looking for what are you wanting from the agency, and are you wanting them to provide member care and third culture kid experiences and things like that? Well, then you might need someone with a broader experiential um, support. So I think that it doesn't, it's not an either or. Don't feel like, I don't want a larger one because I don't want them telling me what to do because then it comes down to authority as well, that whole structure of how they handle it even in a large organization. I think one little, again, I always have something to say too, helium hand. Um, but that the, the issue sometimes here in the States is sometimes you want to be known Full stop. You just want to be known, and so being part of a bigger agency is a bit of a shorthand in helping people know what you're doing with a certain population. Um, but there's always going to be others who just don't care and don't know. So it's also 
Like, do you want to be part of something famous or sort of do you just want to be part of, of a family that moves and is nimble? And for me, that was a little bit of a weird thing where I some, sometimes wanted to be part of some, oh, yeah, your world vision. Oh, yeah, your I won't name more names, but anyway, that if you're part of something big, sometimes that makes you feel like you know what you're doing, even if you don't. Could I put my friend Nathan on the spot here? Can you come on up here, Nathan? Here's a question for you. So Nathan, I think, is actually doing a session this afternoon as well on this subject. But if you could give a couple of sentences and then why somebody may want to come to your session. So you, you get to stand right next to here because this microphone catches the, uh, the tape as well. But the question is, should I join an established field team or start a new team with my friends? <laughs> you're, you're, uh, anybody have an easier question? <laughs> um, if you are one of those entrepreneurs and you have a clear <laughs> – you want me to sell my topic? You have a clear <laughs> vision to use medicine and to plant reproducing churches, grab a team and take them off. If you're more of somebody that helps to follow, wants to follow somebody, find a team leader that has a clear uh, joint goal of using medical missions and planting reproducing churches. What we've found over the years is that some people have one and not the other, and so they can go and spend their whole life solving thousands of medical problems, but there's 10 million more after that. And we have others that go over and just proclaim the gospel and never reach the heart of the gospel of the kingdom, which is to make this world the place that God intended it to be. Somehow those two need to be joined together. And the best way is to find or be the team leader that has a goal to see medical missions done well, at the same time planting multiple reproducing churches that can sweep through that society. Thank you, Brother Nathan. And he's doing that session at 4 o'clock today in the WC446, forming a team for long-term health care missions that plants reproducing churches. So thank you, Nathan. Okay, uh, we've got a couple of minutes. If anybody has a closing story or something you wanted to share that we haven't got to talk about yet. Okay, I'll try to be quick. Um, I just wanted to say uh, an interesting component of our field leadership is um, we were an organization, InterServe was founded by women for women, and our original name uh, is the Zanana Bible and Medical Missions Fellowship, and the Zanana basically translates to the, we're the harem mission or the kitchen mission, depending on how you look at it, but we're where the women are. Um, and so sometimes we do allow men in leadership, sometimes, um, <laughs> So there's a little bit of a uniqueness there, but obviously we have, we've, for about 100 years, we were all women, and then for about the last 70 years or so, we've had couples, and because it was initially when doctors weren't, there were just the first doc, uh, you know, women doctors coming out of medical schools in the 1850s. Then in the 1950s, there still weren't women coming out of engineering schools, and Nepal opened up, and they wanted engineers to build hydroelectric plants, and it was all men, so it was like, okay, fine. So then the men, couples have been part of InterServe ever since very much. Um, but I find that to be, I, I also just kind of wanted to connect that to what I said originally about arranged marriages. Sometimes those marriages do end up in divorce. And we've kind of said that here where you don't have to get it right. But you definitely want to have amicable divorces. 
And I've had people leave under my leadership because they didn't feel right about working under, as a man working under a woman in leadership. So that's a bit of a weird thing that I say, but I just partly say it is just that there will be things that may, as we're all up here saying, choose the right mission. Even if you don't, God is bigger than that, and you'll be working in a context where you'll get to know people in in other missions. And as part of field leadership, for me anyway, it was talking to people who wanted to join, interserve, and sometimes leave. And that's okay, because in God's economy, he just wants us working uh, for his glory, not for our organization's glory. I'd say you came to Global Mission Health Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and you're going to fly home or drive home, and it's not about something that's years away from now, and it's not about whatever we said or whether you did choose an agency or you didn't, and you went home and you felt like there were so many options, but none of them felt right. It's about what you're going to take away from this changed next week, what practices are going to change. You don't become this like amazing healthcare worker internationally overnight. It takes changes in our life. What's your time in the Word going to look like this week? What's your conversations with your neighbors? Or how is your practice going to change? Are you going to look for opportunities to be global-centered? That's what my challenge would be. Like, yes, we want to serve you guys. We want you all to come work with us. Yes, of course, we're like, yeah, we're the best. (laughs) But, like, if we all just plan for years from now, we'll connect again. Or even six months from now. Like, I want our connections six months from now to be different than they are today. Like, I want you to be talking about how God's working in your life. And I get to talk about that. Because that's how we become Christ followers that make other disciples. Like, it's not about us being the great workers that go into these other places. God's working in their lives, too. And he's going to be different. Things are going to be different when we get there. So... That's, my, I guess, my challenge is not focusing. This class is about agencies. Yes, it's an important part of it. But don't leave it at that. Take it deeper. So, Kerr, would you pray over us? And should we take it deeper in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us here together this afternoon. Uh, it's not by chance. You've brought us here for a reason. May you speak to each person in this room, including us here on the panel, of how you want us to be different as we walk away. Maybe it's a different view on what mission is about, or it's a different view on an ascending organization, or it's a growth of humility or grace or something that you want to do in our lives. Lord, would you speak to us that we wouldn't leave this place the same that we came in? Thank you again for each person in this room, and as they're on their journey, uh, may they see you each step of the way on that journey, that it isn't just a what's over there or what's in five years or three years, but it's the whole journey along the way that you're using to change us and make us into the people you want us to be. Thanks again for John and his leadership and bringing this uh, this, this panel together and the, the people here in this whole time in this last hour and his leading. May you bless him and guide him as he continues to look at whether it's long-term or full-time or whatever the words are. Lord, we, th- we thank you for people like John as he helps us along the way in the journey you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in thanking our panelists. And uh, they, some of them may be able to stay around a few more minutes. Uh, but God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thank you.